Today on the Vergecast, Andy Hawkins joins us to talk about all the news in EVs this week and why it's so hard to build a reliable one. Of course, Neelai ends up talking about trucks, but we'll also get into all the gadget news from this week. That's coming up right after this. Support for the podcast comes from Canva. Presenting to a group of your colleagues can be nerve-wracking, so why not ease some of that anxiety with Canva? Thanks to their AI, you can start with a simple prompt and watch Canva go to work. Choose your favorite style, customize the content, and that's it. You're done. It's a serious time saver. Whatever you do for work, Canva presentations can give you a head start on your deck. You generate sales presentations, marketing decks, HR onboarding plans, you name it. Finish your deck faster. Generate slides in seconds with Canva presentations at canva.com, designed for work. Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. When children love learning, they can tackle any challenge life throws at them. Sylvan's Insight Assessment can help you determine if your child is ready for what's ahead. It can also identify gaps in learning and point out areas that could be of concern for your child so they can tackle what's to come. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. Welcome to the Vergecast, the flagship podcast, both Wednesdays and Fridays. Yeah. Yeah. Two days a week. Do you ever guys ever listen to like Zoo Crew Radio in high school and they'd be like, hump day? That's how I think David should start every Wednesday show. <laughs> hey, everybody. <laughs> I wanted a soundboard the whole time. Liam, can I get a soundboard? You cannot have a soundboard, Neli. Sorry. All right. Fine. I'm your friend, Neli. David Pierce is here. Hey, I'm your friend who will always do dumb pranks at 730 in the morning while you're on your way to school. Amazing. Alex Kranz is here. I've never listened to the Zoo Crew. I think Zoo Crew is like the the universal term for like the people who were on too early in the morning who just sort of yelled at each other over microphones. Like whatever they were called, they were the Zoo Crew. That's exactly how I (laughs) think about it. Andy Hawkins is here. Can I get like a weird nickname like the Squeege? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Andy the Squeege Hawkins is here. It's pretty good. Talk about cars. Awesome. Before we start, I just want to say the next six episodes of our Netflix show are out now, including the future of headphones, which is like. The yes. most Neelai episode that we've done. The show's great. All 12 episodes are up. People seem to be really liking it. Some people have told me that they're like, I don't, the show is just about the future. I'm like, it's called the future of. <laughs> like, it's yes, it is, it is just wild speculation. Like, that's the show. <laughs> but I hope you appreciate it. My mom really likes it. She tells all of her friends to watch it. Um, I've been trying to get them to start like a VPN thing, like K-pop stands. Try explaining that to your mom. <laughs> no, absolutely not. <laughs> I was like, just keep streaming. <laughs> a bit of a quiet week. We're headed into the 4th of July holiday. There is a lot of stuff going on. Andy's here because there's actually a lot of EV news this week. Then we got to talk about Starlink and Dish, the Project Gen 5 sys update as always. And we got a little lightning round. But let's start with EVs. There's some Tesla news, actually quite a lot of Tesla news. There's some overall EV quality concerns across the industry. But I'll start. I, people have seen me tweeting about this stuff. I've had the F-150 Lightning, and I spent some time with Rivian this week. I'm a little... I don't want to like overdo... We haven't published the pieces yet, so I don't want to give them all away before I publish it. We'll 
this segment in our, our rundown is literally just called Truck Talk with Neil. We'll do another round of Truck Talk. But here's what I will say about these two cars. And Andy, I know you've written about this before. It just really occurs to me that the F-150 Lightning is a very important product, right? The F-150 is the best-selling vehicle in the United States for like 40 years or something. It is super just an F-150. Like, they changed out the drivetrain. The drivetrain is really impressive. That truck is really fast. A guy in a Corvette Stingray drag raced me down the highway, and I kept up with him in a pickup truck. And oh, then yeah. he smoked me because I was like, I got to, it's not my truck. <laughs> he was very confident. So the drivetrain is impressive. All that stuff was great. But inside, it's an F-150. The software is still just a Ford. Imagine me reviewing the software inside of the F-150. That's where we went. Whereas the Rivian, the R1T and the R1S are really very, very similar. One has a, One's a pickup truck and one's an SUV, but they're kind of the same car. The, you know, that's like a ground up re-architecting of a car. And it's very much a, they started with this hardware and software platform and they own all of the software, even down to the, like the little itty bitty chips. They wrote the code for those chips in a way that Ford just like gets the parts from suppliers driving them back to back. It just occurred to me like that split has not really been investigated. And we're going to obviously talk about Tesla a bunch here. They're also completely integrated in that way. We're going to talk about the quality problems across the EV industry. It just seems like there's more to do with how the cars are built that's changing than almost anything else right now. Well, yeah, I think the the missions of both of these two companies are radically different. Ford, their mission is not to scare away their customers. They already have a gigantic base of customers who are loyal to them and will always buy F-150s. They buy a new one every five years, potentially. And their goal is to not scare those people away. In fact, it's just to to make sure that they that they stay within the Ford ecosystem, if you will. Whereas Rivian is just trying to build something from the ground up. And so I feel like that they probably have more of a, an incentive to do something that's new and, and innovative when it comes to uh, in-car software than Ford, which was just to basically, like you said, slap a, an EV powertrain onto a pre-existing Ford F-150. And that's why you, I think also you hear so much about the frunk, because it is literally the only thing that's different <laughs> ab- about the Lightning as compared to past F-150s is the fact that it has this gigantic front trunk. The thing that, that Ford talks about the most is the frunk. Yeah, uh, which rules, by the way. It's like, as somebody who owns a pickup truck, having an actual trunk is like, oh, my car's twice as useful as it was before. Your car's actually useful. Well, I mean, you can like put stuff in the bed of a pickup truck. That's very useful, but it gets wet. It could get stolen. You can't like putting your groceries in the bed of a pickup truck is actually not a good idea. My mom disagrees. She does it? <laughs> she does it all the time. She has like a little like gate extender that I hate the most. It's like a 2001 Chevy Silverado. And anytime I'm in town, it's still got like an American flag tent on it because it was my grandfather's. He's been dead for 20 years, you guys. She still has this truck with the American (laughs) flag on it and the little extender. And she puts that little extender down and she loads the back of her truck with groceries. And then she's like, she puts like ice cream in there. It's like 100 degrees outside. She's like, this will be fine. (laughs) I'm like, you're just making soup on the way home. The electric Silverado coming out next year. That is also the the gate extender is, is a big. It's never coming out. Oh, yeah. I'm sorry. <laughs> Being unveiled next year or what have you. <laughs> when it actually goes on sale, when customers will actually take deliveries is very much in question. I forgot that we have to make all those qualifications on vaporware cast. <laughs> is it out of the it's a drawing stage or no? Like, where's the where are we in the Silverado? That's like the big thing that Chevy is hyping is the gate extender. Yeah. No, they've made one. There's a prototype. Like they'll sh- the, you can watch videos of the one truck they've made and it has it does have the gate extender. 
But are they, are they going to make more than one? Who knows? The thing about the Ford that's really interesting to me is it strikes me as like, and I say this as decidedly not a truck guy, but like it seems to me like it would it was smart for Ford to do kind of as little as possible here. Like it's, it's mm-hmm. not like there are like massive things about the F-150 that this was the moment for them to solve. It's like, how do we take this very good truck that everybody likes for lots of very specific reasons and make it? electric. And that is like, I, I almost think it was smart to not try to solve any other problems except for that one. Whereas Rivian then has a much harder problem of being like, we have to convince you that this thing is actually better than the F-150, which is like a, not a problem Ford has. They just have to keep making F-150s. Well, and Rivian is like trying to create a new market, right? Wasn't that kind of the thing, Andy, that they're like marketing to people who eat granola and hike a lot? Adventure. They, they, will, they will say the word adventure at you without a second hesitation. Right. They have the whole like there's the kitchen option that you can get with the R1T where you there's like a pull out kitchen where you can cook all of your what do people cook when they go camping beans. They cooked us a steak and potato hash <laughs> on the kitchen at the, the event that I was at. I thought that hash is under embargo. Neil, I, I think you're. <laughs> yeah, I can't like give away like anything about the R1S, but I can, I can probably talk about the, the hash and the, the R1T. What I'm getting at, though, is, is a little bit different than that. Like there's the expression of the products, which is, is it smart to just make an F-150 with an electric drivetrain. Yes, I think that's true. Yes, this thing made me the star of every Home Depot parking lot that I was in, especially when you open the the frunk. Dads for miles around, like they get on the walkie-talkies, we gotta go see this thing. It's like you blew the conch, you know, at the top of the mountain, and all the dads came flocking. It was very good. And they all had, they, they all said two things to me. Everywhere I went, people said two things to me about it. One, they asked me about the range, because everyone has crazy range anxiety. And two, Almost everyone was like, I have a deposit on the Cybertruck. And then I would be like, uh huh. And they'd be like, I know. And then we would just like have that moment over and over and over again. Because like everyone just like gave Elon a hundred bucks or whatever for the Cybertruck. And no one really thinks they're going to get one. They just all, everyone just has a deposit on the Cybertruck. Like in the pickup truck community, you know, there was like the phone chain that was like, did you put your Cybertruck deposit down? And then just like went around and everyone did it. It's bizarre. It was like the two things everyone said to me. I'm worried about the range. Does it get 300 miles like Ford says? And I have a deposit on the Cybertruck. And I was like, do you ever think you're going to get one? And they're like, no. <laughs> <laughs> and, I was like, and, then we, and then we would laugh and like open the frunk some more. But what I was getting at is kind of bigger than that. So like there's the, you know, the, the product of the F-150 and its market and all that. But the way that the cars have been designed and built, because Rivian and Tesla are new companies, they started with a software platform to run the whole car. And they started with these hard requirements that they're going to write all of the software for all of the chips in the car. And like the meanest thing you can say about the traditional automakers is that they're basically banks that buy parts and turn them into cars, right? Like their big businesses are like financing and leasing. And the cars are like a way to get you into their bank. And the way the cars have traditionally been designed and built is like by buying lots of parts from suppliers that may or may not have chips in them and then integrating. They're more like Dell than Apple, right? Yeah. And like, I think the F-150 is just really interesting because Ford wants desperately to get away from that. They keep talking about it. They're splitting the company in two. And the F-150 is kind of like stuck in the middle of that transition in that lots of it is new, but lots of it is just F-150 stuff. It was just very striking driving all these cars back to back. I mean, if you remember, 
like, you know, during the 2008 recession, when, you know, a lot of the auto industry had to get bailed out by the federal government, one of the first things that these companies did before they had to declare bankruptcy was to spin out their, their like their financial services businesses, you know, so like, it was clear that like, that was going to be something that like, they saw as being like, that could save them potentially was, you know, was, was spinning those out or selling them off to, to like, you know, foreign companies, for example. But yeah, now it, it like today it's like, it's much different. I don't know if you want to transition to like the, the study that just came out, the survey about vehicle quality, because like the today it's like, we, we're always just sort of hopping and skipping in the auto industry from one crisis to another. And, <laughs> and the crisis, you know, the, the most recent crisis is obviously supply chain and semiconductors. And now it's, you know, some, in some respects it's gas prices and like, you know, how that's going to affect car sales and car sales are down even though prices are still sort of like wildly out of whack. But, you know, I think that the the most recent crisis with the with the supply chain and the pandemic and everything that was happening, we saw like a really noticeable dip in vehicle quality. The survey was conducted by J.D. Power and Associates. And it was like the most steepest drop in quality that they like have ever recorded in like 30 years of doing this survey. So it's clear that like, you know, while these companies like Rivian are are exciting and coming along and promising sort of like a new architecture and a new way to think about cars, there is still like a lot that is dependent on sort of the old like tier one, tier two supply, supply chain issues. And that's going to affect all of the companies across the board. You know, and there's only so much vertical integration that you can do. Like Tesla is trying to vertically integrate as much as they possibly can, but at the same time, they can't. They still can't make their own battery cells. They still need Panasonic to make all the batteries that go into these cars. And uh, at that end, you're starting to see a lot of uh, problems as well because the prices are now shooting up, and we're starting to wonder: Are these cars actually ever going to be affordable for regular people, or are they still just going to be these luxury products uh, for rich people to buy? Yeah, this survey is fascinating. Electrical vehicle manufacturers are the biggest drops in quality. Polestar is dead last. And they, <laughs> I mean, like, that's fascinating, right? Polestar is connected to Volvo. They're not trying to make the fastest or craziest EVs. They're trying to make pretty practical ones that are well-designed. And like, they're, they're, they're struggling. Tesla is seventh from the bottom. Every Tesla owner I know lately has been pointing out how creaky the car is or their cars are or like where the panel gaps are like that's just a tesla thing that happens there's that tiktok star like this woman who does detailing on cars and she's now famous and she now has like her little tiktok business because she just one time was like i'm just gonna roast this tesla and all the problems with it and she had like her little like paint meter she's like look how thin the paint is she's been really crass about the gaps it was great TikTok auto detailers are my favorite TikTokers. I, they're my favorite. <laughs> I'm a, like, I'm like, oh, should I get one of those drill brushes? This feels like a the right move. No, I, I definitely bought both a foam cannon and a drill brush because of TikTok. <laughs> yes. This is a real thing that happened. I had, I'm a transportation editor. I had no idea that there was this this genre on TikTok. And my sister is an auto detailer in Missouri. I should should I tell her to get on TikTok? Get on TikTok, dude. Oh my god. I mean, it, it's like ASMR for car nerds. Like, I don't know how else to describe it. You're like. Here's someone <laughs> gently brushing the console of a 1982 Toyota, and you're like, you're going to make it new again. Oh, my it God. It looks so nice afterwards. But anyway, so like Polestar's dead last, Tesla seventh from the bottom. Ford has had numerous recalls on the Mach-E. There are different kinds of cars to build than traditional ICE cars, even though they obviously shared many, many components. 
It doesn't seem like we figured any of it out yet. Well, and this was the problem we were supposed to have solved with like traditional car manufacturers getting in the game, right? It was like Tesla did a lot of things right, but like was not as good at making lots of cars. And now this was supposed to be the moment where the people who were good at making lots of cars were going to come in and like simmer things down. And that, yeah, like to your point, that does not seem to be happening at all. And actually like the seems to be getting worse. The really interesting thing about the recalls, because there have been a ton and some of them have been really like kind of like very concerning, like Toyota just had like a major recall for this EV that they just put out just came out like it's only been out for like a couple of weeks and they have to recall pretty much every single one of them because the the wheel might fall off like while you're driving, which is like that's not something that can be fixed with a over the air software update. <laughs> like the tire on the ground might just fall off. Yes, like the actual wheel. The bolts get undone. Yeah, the hub bolts <laughs> were were not the right bolts, and so it just goes to show that like you know the software issue is obviously very crucial, especially as cars become smarter and they start to use you know more advanced driver assist features, and, and like you know. For for example, like the Ford Mustang recall, like they're going to be able to fix that with an OTA update, uh, but it's not coming until next next month. It just go, sort of illustrates how far behind the traditional auto industry is compared to like the Rivians and the Teslas when it comes to kind of this stuff. Because as you say, they did not architect this stuff from the very beginning to accept software updates in this way. They had to create something and they're relying on a supplier base to provide them with the tools and the resources that they need. They're not doing it themselves. Whereas Rivian and Ford have vertically integrated all of that stuff into their business model. Yeah. The Hubboats thing is at once like hilarious because it's Toyota and like they have a reputation for making really excellent long lasting cars, <laughs> but it's also very understandable. And that like someone was like, these will work. They fit enough. Like, that's like how I build things. I'm like, this is close enough. Like, the car's still there. It's not going anywhere. Like, it, it's, no, it it's... literally is not going anywhere. Because if you take it somewhere, the wheels might come off. Like, we just published a review of that, right? The BZ4X. Yeah, Abigail Bassett wrote, wrote it for us, and she was not impressed with it. She thought it was pretty, pretty mediocre EV overall. And this was before, like she turned in her review before the recall came out as well. And so I was just like, I reached out to her afterwards. I was like, I'm so glad you lived to write this review because it turns out this could have been a very, very bad, bad thing that happened to you. The other thing I want to call it from this survey is people hate the software in their cars and they in particular yeah. dislike CarPlay and Android Auto, which they find difficult oh. to use. The introduction of wireless CarPlay and Android Auto uh, attributes to an increase in connectivity problems, uh, 4.9 problems per 100 vehicles in 2021, went up to 5.8 in 22. I'm just going to say this. I know we've talked about CarPlay and Apple's vision for CarPlay. The more people that have talked to me about Apple's vision of taking over the screens from the auto industry, the more people that have just laughed and been like, this is never happening. Nobody wants this to happen. Also, it's impossible. Like, There's no standard car API for Apple to tap into to just take that and like provide you a speedometer in CarPlay. Can you imagine the amount of work Apple, Tim Cook, would have to do to get all the car makers to be like, you know what? Yes, we're going to do an API. The best way I could describe this to you is what Apple is proposing is basically Windows 95. Yeah. Like, you know, like, <laughs> like you know, you can install the Windows 95 and that whole thing got prettier. But then you're like, DOS is here. <laughs> Like DOS lurks in the background <laughs> of Windows 95. And like at some point, like your computer is definitely still running DOS. And it wasn't until much later with NT, uh, I think it was like straight up Windows 7 and Windows 8 that finally like got rid of 
most of the DOS underpinnings. Like Windows 95 and 98 and ME were like definitely just shells on DOS. That's what Apple is basically proposing with CarPlay. Like you'll run your regular systems and you'll just provide us with the information we need to display it in CarPlay, but your stuff will still be there because there's no way to replace it. There's no standard like CAN bus is like not a, it's not going to work for them in that way. So like the more people who talk to me, the more they're like, what are they even proposing here? Like there's no way to build it. I don't understand why Apple isn't going the Google route, which like Google will like, you know, they have Android Auto, obviously, but they're also like working, you know, alongside a lot of automakers to just like install Android Automotive natively in a lot of cars. You know, like Polestar has it, a lot of Volvos have it, BMW just announced that some of its next cars will have native Android. And I'm just like curious, like, I don't know, why doesn't Apple do that? And once again, we're going to point to Polestar being dead last and <laughs> <laughs> like Android is Android. I, I think there's like it's an out, you know, and like Ford signed that big deal with Google to base the new version of sync on Android, which is like another big question mark about the lightning. Like the lightning I tested was somewhere between 90 and 93 thousand dollars. And I was like the software in this, like, I don't know what its future is. If you buy that truck now for 90 some thousand dollars and you think you're going to have it for 10 years, 10 years from now, you're on a dead end road of software because Ford is moving at some point next year to Android. But I think most people are taking that out because Google is there and they'll do it for you. But I don't think Google has it figured out either. And then CarPlay in general is like fairly confusing to use as the cars get more complicated because particularly for EVs, what you want is a like accurate range estimate. And to get the most accurate range estimate out of any EV, you've got to tell it where you're going. So now you're like flipping back and forth between Apple's vision of the world and the EV vision of the world. And I would point out that even that vision of CarPlay we saw at WWDC was definitely for a gas car. Like it had a <laughs> gas meter, like the whole thing. It just like I, I this I think the software story in cars, both from the how is a car architected to what is on the displays is like in complete and total flux right now. Like nobody knows what's going to happen. And and all the way down at like at the very bottom, it's like people can't connect their phones to their cars with Bluetooth. Like Bluetooth is bad, is part of the problem here. And it's like, well, good luck with your beautiful vision of a CarPlay future when I can't figure out how to do the like 11 button routine I have to do <laughs> to get my phone to understand that it's in a car. Yeah. I still plug mine in with a wire. I'm kind of flabbergasted that none of the car makers have been like, oh, we all are asking you to use Android Auto. We're all asking you to use CarPlay if you want to have that fun experience, I guess. But we're not going to provide any, like, very natural way to, like, just slot your com your phone in, like, a little computer into your car and be like, boop, done. It charges, it connects everything, and go. Oh, like a floppy disk? You do, like, a little slot you just stick it into when you get in the car? That's the dream for me is just be like, boop. Done. And then also, you don't have to worry about texting and driving because then you have to like eject your phone and oh, immediately you don't know where you're going because Waze is disconnected. I like this. So instead of the CD slot, you just want like the phone. Just a phone slot. Just boop. And then when you like have to get out of your car and run away, you're like, hold on. <laughs> hold on, I gotta eject. Hold on. Stop it. Shut up. So I will say that the lightning is close. New F-150s are close in that there's a wireless charging pad and wireless CarPlay works fine. So you just like get in the car, you throw the phone in the pad, it starts charging. Off you go. I will, again, reserve my detailed complaints about all of this software for the forthcoming review. But like at the end of the day, the, the notion that anyone knows what's happening in cars, well, there's two, there's two things that I'm obsessed with. One, all of these cars are being re-architected, and who, the winners and losers of that software battle are unknown. 
uh, Rivian, like they developed their entire own software platform because they were on an open source platform and they just decided it wasn't good enough and they made their own. All kinds of companies make that decision, but for like consumer products. And now that's happening at the level of cars. And then second, I get to drift EVs around dirt tracks because that's how you test the products. And it's like, oh, this is great. All my interests are aligning. <laughs> um, and it was like, yeah, again, I won't share too much about actually driving the R1S. It was beautiful truck, oval headlights, make your own decision. But, you know, it's like a bunch of tech reporters and a bunch of car reporters. And I just what you notice is like we live in different worlds. We think about different things. And that was, you know, it's eye opening and obviously revealing but you got the sense that like the car industry is still in a framework of gas cars. Like they still think about gas car stuff and all the tech reporters like, no, like the real question to ask is how much headroom is in the Nvidia chip in this thing that runs unreal engine? <laughs> because like two years from now, is it going to be slow? Right. Yes. And like Rivian's like very prepared for that question. And like Ford is basically like, it's slow now, actually. It's uh, quite slow. <laughs> it's called managing expectations. Yeah. Uh, Rivian stuff uh, is coming out next week. Uh, the Lightning should come out. The Lightning review should come out right after that. It was fun driving both. If you have questions, let me know because uh, I'll try to put the answers in the reviews. All right. Like I said, there's actually a bunch of Tesla news. There's some Starlink news, too. So let's take a break. Andy, stick with us. We'll come back for the Elon Musk segment of the Vergecast. We'll be right back. Support for this podcast comes from Canva. They say Rome wasn't built in a day, but you know what you can get built in a day? Your creative deck. You can generate creative decks to use for all your important presentations with Canva. Thanks to their AI, you can start with a simple prompt and watch Canva go to work. You want a sales presentation for a tech company? Done. Create an employee onboarding plan? No problem. Just type it in and watch Canva work its magic. You'll have generated options in seconds. Choose your favorite style, customize the content, and you're done. It's a serious time saver at work. So whatever you do at your job, Canva presentations can give you a head start on your deck. You can generate sales presentations, marketing decks, HR onboarding plans, you name it. It's AI for every department. It's easy to learn. It's even easier to use. And because it's built in Canva presentations, you can stay focused on the task at hand with no app switching. Finish your deck faster. Generate slides in seconds with Canva presentations at canva.com. Designed for work. Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. As a parent, you want your child to have every opportunity. But giving them the tools they need to tackle every challenge... That takes a team. Now more than ever, educational support tailored exactly to what your child needs can make all the difference. That's why parents have trusted Sylvan Learning for 45 years as the ultimate teammate in their child's educational journey, instilling in them a love for learning and a passion for reaching the next level. And Sylvan's insight assessment can identify gaps in learning and areas that could be of concern for your child. It's a 360-degree view into your child's learning that you can't find anywhere else and helps ensure that your child didn't miss something in school that might put them at a disadvantage in the future. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com.
we're back. Andy's still here. We got a bunch of Elon stuff to talk about. Let's stick with cars. Let's talk about Tesla. Tesla's going through it, man. What is going on with this company? Lots of layoffs. They decided to go the route of like slow rolling the layoffs so that they just like have like multiple news cycles like <laughs> dedicated to how many people are getting laid off rather than just like rip the bandaid off all at once. It's just like this excruciating process. Uh, so, yeah, they just most recently that was reported that uh, they're laying off about 200 people from their autopilot team. Uh, and I guess most of these folks are like hourly workers who were uh, tasked with like labeling. Uh, so that means that like you're sitting at a desk and you're looking through training data and you're saying this is a car, this is a pedestrian, this is a baby carriage. Don't run over these things. Mm. Uh, those people don't work at Tesla anymore, which depending on how you feel about Tesla and autopilot, maybe is a little concerning. I don't know. Yeah. Do you track that specific part of the company being affected as meaning anything? Like, should we read anything into the fact that it's autopilot? Like 200 people in the scheme of Tesla is not that many people, but it is 200 people from sort of one specific team. Yeah. I mean, I don't think that that means that like Tesla is going to stop labeling its trading data because <laughs> uh, that would obviously be, I think, a, a, a huge blunder on their part <laughs> and could result in in potentially lots of crashes and, and deaths that they probably don't want to have happen. But I think that it is it, what's clear is that like the industry in general is sort of turning to cheaper sources of that labor. They're outsourcing it to other countries where, you know, people work for, for less money than they do in the United States. We shouldn't assume that Tesla is going to stop doing this task altogether just because these people are getting laid off. So but the, the stealth layoff thing at Tesla is a slowly growing story, right? So first, Elon sent the memo saying everyone's got to go back to the office or you can quit, which is like a very good way to make people quit without saying you're doing layoffs. <laughs> like we've seen that pattern repeat now a few times at other companies. So he does that first. Then there's this hilarious story that there's not enough desks in various Tesla offices for all the employees who are not forced to come back to work, which is very funny as well. Then there's this allegation from a, a number of employees that they were fired for, quote, performance reasons all at once. And that actually constituted a layoff event, giving them rise to some additional rights that has led to a lawsuit. And then now we're seeing the 200 autopilot employees all in the context of Elon saying, I feel bad about the economy. Tesla's overstaffed. But as of yet, he hasn't said, I'm just doing a layoff at Tesla. Like, it's, it's, it's this, like, death by a thousand cuts, and I kind of don't understand why. Like, of all of the CEOs in the entire world, the one who could say, I'm just going to fire about 10,000 people, like, you can sign up and go, or I'll just, I'll just walk around the office pointing at people and saying you're fired. Now. Like, Elon can do that, you know, in a way that, like, no, no one else could get away with just saying, I'm, I'm making these cuts, deal with it. Does Tesla still not have, like, a PR department? No. Could no. that be part of this? Just somebody who actually knows about comms being like, hey, buddy, your Twitter account does not actually equal corporate comms. And there's, oh, no, no, there's no, other no, ways to no, do no, this. No, 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 no. That ship has <laughs> sailed. <laughs> yeah. no, 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 Alex, like you're, you're talking about a, like most CEOs don't want to do that. But Elon, like in particular, is like, don't get in front of my Twitter account. Like you, yeah. the United States government, you want to get in front of my Twitter account? I'll just buy Twitter. Yeah, like, that's where he's at. With this. I mean, he's he's literally still involved in like litigation with the SEC over the issue of whether or not he needs to get his tweets checked out with regards to whether or not they're like they would have a material impact on Tesla's share price. And he's trying to get them to like vacate the settlement that he he made, which required him to have someone, some lawyer somewhere. You talk about Trump's music, man. Uh, Elon's <laughs> Twitter sitter is like another job. But he doesn't actually have one. Is another job that I feel could be categorized in the same way. <laughs> 
<laughs> but, but he hasn't actually employed the Twitter sitter anyway. No. Yeah. But I'm just saying like, it's weird that he hasn't just said, I'm, I'm making this move. I'm cutting Tesla down to be ready for the recession. They did the same thing in 2017. They had layoffs in 2017 and they slow rolled it and it came out drips and drabs over like multiple weeks. And it was an excruciating news cycle. And they clearly just haven't learned anything since then, that this is just the way that this company does business. And, you know, in terms of like its labor practices, it's been well documented that there have been numerous lawsuits filed against Tesla over uh, um, uh, toxic work culture, racist incidents happening at its factory in Fremont, gender discrimination. It's just, you know, sort of the list goes on and on. And so it seems like (laughs) the way that they are doing these layoffs are just sort of part and parcel with sort of like a culture at Tesla that is extremely problematic. Well, and Neilai, I'm not sure I agree with you that Elon Musk is the is the CEO who can get away with this right now. Like it's 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 been a moment where like investors in particular are not super convinced that Tesla is a very well-run organization. And with all the Twitter stuff going on, there's been a lot of, you know, nerves and I think if he were to come out and say I'm laying off 10,000 people. Like two years ago, Elon Musk, everybody just goes, you're so brave. And that's great. Now I'm not sure that works for him the same way. And I think there are a lot of people out there who are like worried about the future of Tesla, who are looking for reasons to get really, 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 really worried about the future of Tesla. Well, and Tesla's stock is not doing great. All of his wealth is tied to it. I have no doubt that he's thinking, okay, which hurts my stock more? Just one ripping the Band-Aid or doing these like low trickles and hoping that everybody talking about the music man distracts from the fact that we keep laying people off every week? I don't know. I don't want to like be full CNBC, Eli, but like- Do it. Like, I don't know that he cares that much. And also like Tesla is the most shorted stock in like world history. Like people have been betting against Tesla stock the whole time. Like- at the end of the day, it's like bad overall, right? Like people are losing their jobs. It's like heartbreaking. It's just strange to me that in everything else, it's brash moves. And in this thing that he signaled so loudly that he thinks the economy is bad and Tesla is overstaffed, he's letting it persist as opposed to just doing it. And I think maybe part of that is like he's distracted with all of the other things like buying Twitter, like fighting with the SEC, like SpaceX generally is a going concern. Do you know he has a company that drills tunnels under the surface of the earth to slowly drive one car through them? They just got a new project in Vegas. So they're, they're, they're still doing it. The official tunnels of Genophives. Yes. <laughs> it's just like with all that stuff, like maybe, maybe he was like, just figure it out. And like, so there's a slow bleed. It's just interesting. Like Tesla is feeling it in a way that a lot of companies are feeling it. And that's, I think, unusual. like, Tesla has virtually unlimited demand. They have never been like, we made too many cars. They're always like, we cannot make enough cars at every point in history. And now I think Elon's predicting like they're going to make too many cars, which is surprising. Well, this is all happening at the same time that the Texas factory is coming online. The Berlin factory is coming online. Musk has described both of those factories as essentially just money furnaces at this mo- at the moment, <laughs> where he's just shoveling money into a furnace. Uh, the Shanghai factory continues to go through uh, a pretty like concerning cycle of opening and being forced to close because of COVID restrictions in China. I, I don't understand how that man gets a single uh, minute of sleep every night considering just the the numerous catastrophes and fires he's forced to put out on a, on a constant basis. And really, I think managing the lack of sleep explains a lot of the tweets. 
He hasn't tweeted in nine days. It's good for everybody. Yeah. yeah. If you've noticed that the birds are singing a little bit more clearly outside your window and people seem to be walking with a little bit more of an upright gait, it's because Elon Musk has not tweeted in eight days. Love this for all of us. The thing I'll say, though, I, mean, I said basically, uh, you know, there's unlimited demand for these cars. But what is true right now is that they're being outsold by Hyundai and Kia which have very hot EVs in the Kia EV6 and the Hyundai Ionic 5. I see Ionic 5s all over the place here. You know, I always look to see who's driving them, and it's like a wide selection of diverse people it's are just driving people. Ionic yeah. 5s. It's just yeah. people. But with Teslas, like for a long time, I was like, oh, VC, VC, yeah, VC, yeah. startup guy, VC, VC. A lot um, of Patagonia vests. A lot of vests in Teslas. Mm-hmm. But you know, I don't live in New York City anymore, and it's just it's shocking to see how many EVs I see floating around. And then again, when I had the lightning i was like going to chargers and you just saw there it was like maki's ionic fives and like the odd uh volvo xc40 recharge like populate all the chargers up here and so i think the fact that like hyundai is actually taking share from tesla has got to be weighing on elon's mind as well he's tweeted that they're doing a good job yeah i mean he, he was like he's had the luxury of being kind of first mover in this space for a long time and now he actually has to compete and just the worst time to overextend yourself with a ton of new factories and a giant $48 billion Twitter purchase. Like, maybe not the best time to do all that. I think Hyundai and Kia made the the right move, too, because they made enough cars for people to actually (laughs) buy, whereas a lot of the other automakers who are introducing these new EVs have limited supply. The the F-150, there's only going to be like several thousand delivered probably this year. It's going to ramp up, obviously. But, you know, Hyundai actually, you know, Volkswagen, they sold out of the ID4. There's not going to be any available until 2023. Like Hyundai and Kia, they actually made enough cars for people to buy. And demand is obviously very high right now because people are getting pinched real hard by the gas prices. So uh, I think that that was a smart move on Hyundai's part. They sort of came out at the right time, right place, right time, and they actually made enough. So now we got to talk about the Ionic 6, which, <laughs> boy, did, were they like, people will go with it. It's, yeah, I don't know how that, I don't, that thing looks strange. They're leaning into this like retro futurism thing, which like normally I think is like kind of a cool design choice and I'm with it. I, I'm here for it. But yeah, this one, I, 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 it seems like they're trying to do something like similar to like what Mercedes did with EQS. It's like extremely like bubble shaped and very like aerodynamic. But yeah, it's a sedan. No one's going to buy that in the US. All I can think of is squishy minivan. That's just what I look at when when I look at this is like somebody just took a minivan, removed the bucket seats and was like, here, here it is. You have a car now. I've seen a number of people, including Marquez Brownlee tweet that it looks like an Apple magic mouse. And then immediately <laughs> his replies yeah. had people photoshopping a charger into the bottom, which is very good. We'll see. The notable thing I'll say about from this announcement, you should go look at the picture. It does look silly. Um, their head of design is like, we're sticking with buttons, like physical buttons. Touchscreens are dangerous when cars are moving. Yes. And I just want every car designer to like internalize this. Rivian's all touchscreens. The Lightning, regular F-150s have a lot of physical buttons, and the Lightning has that portrait touchscreen that takes the HVAC and puts it on the touchscreen. I and hate it's it. just like, what are, you, what are you doing to me, man? Like, I'm driving an eight-ton pickup truck. Like, <laughs> I can't be messing with the seat heaters like this. Like, leave me alone. So I appreciate about it, Hyundai Kia. Can I just read this quote? Because I actually wrote this. I took this quote out of the story that we did and was like, this is the thing. This is the answer. And it's, it's like you said, from, from Hyundai's design chief, whose name I should have written down and forgot. But it says, for us, anything that relates to the safety, we use hardware. Anything not related to safety, we'll use a touch interface. Like, that's it. Perfect. 
Crushed it. Love it. A plus, no notes. That is the answer. <laughs> Go look at that picture. I mean, tell me if you think it looks like a magic mask. I think it looks cool. It does look cool. It has like has some a, like it's got some PT Cruiser energy. Hmm. Wow, that's that's harsh. <laughs> Did you say cool yeah. and then PT Cruiser like right next <laughs> yeah. to each other? Did that happen? <laughs> I was gonna say it has some old Porsche energy, but I would not have gone PT Cruiser. I want it to look like a car that Batman in the animated series would accidentally hit with his car while he's chasing the Joker. That's what I want from a car. And this, this has got a little of that energy, that PT Cruiser energy. You want to be the NPC bystander car? <laughs> yeah. I want it to look like a weird 30s car as designed by an animator in 1992. Dream big, Alex. And that's very much where Hyundai's going. <laughs> that's, that's where they're going. They nailed it. That's true. Have you seen the new episode of Westworld season four? Where her job either. is writing backstories for NPCs, which is very funny because she was what? NPC. Oh, my God. Oh, I love it. I don't know if it's any good, but I, I definitely laughed as I watched her try to explain. <laughs> and I was like, it's the Westworld thing. And she's on a date. And she's trying to explain what a video game is to, to her date. I'm like, have you been around? Like, do people still not know what video games are in this future? It's very good. Last little Elon bit. Uh, some Starlink news. First, Thomas Ricker, who lives in Europe, as you may know, uh, reviewed Starlink RV. That's a version of Starlink that you can just like take anywhere you want as long as there's service. You can uh, shut it off and not pay the monthly fee and then turn it on again when you're on the road. The trade-off is that you are lower in priority for bandwidth than anyone else. Thomas loved it. He was like mostly on beaches. He had a clear view of the sky, which is very important for Starlink. And he said it was faster than whatever cell internet options that he had wherever he was. And he did not notice the throttling. I will say two things. One, they've changed the design of the dish. And they've made it worse in some ways in the original dish than I reviewed and better in some ways. So better, it's smaller and it looks cooler. The worst part is very Vergecast. My dish gets power over Ethernet. So yeah. you plug the dish into the power box and you plug the power box into the Wi-Fi router. And you just plug everything in and everything has power and you're not going to go. One wire teach thing. This dish uh, attaches via micro USB. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> That's just like a big... Like falling on your face. It's a 70-foot micro USB cable <laughs> that attaches to the Wi-Fi router. No, so, did I say 70? 75-foot micro USB connector. You can charge your old Kindle and use <laughs> your Starlink dish. What are we doing? Like, not like backwards, but also like backwards and sideways Yeah. to go from pure power over Ethernet to not even USB-C, but like, yeah, micro USB. Let's see what that is. He also said it rarely lines up properly, which is very good. So just like a confusing dish, but it's uses less power than my dish. Like there's all this, there's benefits to the new dish and there's obviously trade-offs. So that's good. And like I said, he had, he sent me the Slack. He's like, I had a very different Starlink experience than you. And I was like, did you have any obstructions? And he was like, no, we were like on beaches. Well, but he also, he framed it in a way I thought was really smart, which is basically like your experience was you were trying to replace your home internet, which is like a very high bar in terms of both reliability and speed. His, and he said this in the review, is... His bar was basically awful cell service at the beach or at a music festival. And like beating that is really easy. And that's like, that's what Starlink is trying to do here, basically, right? So they're like, even if we throttle you, even if you have some obstructions, like you're going to get pretty good internet in places where pretty good internet is actually like a vast improvement over what you've had before. And I think Thomas might be being slightly generous in being happy with good enough internet, but like <laughs> good enough internet in a lot of places is, is a huge improvement. And I thought like, I just think that the, it's a, 
clever way of thinking about it. What happens when you're like at Burning Man and everybody's got their internet? Because that's totally a thing that happens at Burning Man. But everybody's got their little Starlink like system. Won't that actually make the internet worse if everybody adopts this? Well, so this is kind of what's happening with Starlink right now in general. Okay. So I'm a proud lurker of the Starlink subreddit. <laughs> and it's like one, to me, it's like one of the most chill places on the entire. It's just bros helping bros. Love it. Like everyone's just trying to solve the same problem. And they're like, Trees. should I climb this hundred foot pole with no safety equipment to install Starlink? And everyone's like, you got it, bro. Like, it's great. Oh. Is the top comment on every single one just like trees, question mark? <laughs> There's a lot of discussion of trees and whether cutting them down or going over them is better. There's a lot of just like, you know, I'll put this into like historical context. Like the big cable companies in the United States are now lumbering giants, but they were all started by effectively cowboys. Yes. Right. Who like wanted to help a community. And so they set up an antenna and like ran coax cable to their neighbors and they had like started a cable network. And I think that part of that story is so cool. And like, yes, now they're lumbering giants. Disclosure, Comcast, NBC, Universal, Sony Investor, Fox Media. Um, and now we have to think about like Peacock and like whatever. You want. The minions exist, right? But they all, that, like even Comcast started as like this cowboy outfit. There's an element of the Starlink moment that has that cowboy energy that I think is great. And so it's just people like they can't get internet access where they are and they've got one tool to do it and they are overcoming whatever obstacles to figure it out. I think it's great. They don't like me very much because I said Starlink doesn't work with trees. But I would just say, like, the revealed evidence is that trees are a problem for Starlink, even in the subreddit. I ran into a woman this weekend and she uses Starlink. She does not read The Verge. It was very rude for her to say that. But it's fine. But she was like, yeah, I love Starlink, except for trees. Did you know that trees are really bad for Starlink? <laughs> and you said, oh. <laughs> Do I? Anyhow, so like the subreddit's great. And I read it all the time. But the thing that is happening right now is the cells are getting overcrowded. So the Starlink divides up the map into these like honeycomb grids. And that people are getting Starlinks. And now you can get them. There's no wait list anymore in a lot of places. The RV has no wait list. You just get it in a week. And the speeds are dropping. They're dropping to about 40 to 50 down. And so like... There's just a lot of, to David's point, there's a lot of justification now in that community over, I was an early adopter, I was getting like 200 down, and now I'm getting 40, but it's still better than my satellite internet. And that's what you got to keep in mind. And I think that this trade-off over, you know, Starlink is more or less cell towers in space. Like, there's a physical limitation to what they can accomplish over time, even with more and more satellites. And like, whether they can pull off the whole business is like, it's running into its like first cap of limitations, which I think is fascinating. Is that why Starlink is fighting with Dish? Because it wants more spectrum to solve these problems? So deeply unclear okay. why they have chosen to fight with Dish. So no Verge story made less sense to me this week than Starlink and Dish fighting about spectrum. And we tried. We tried real hard with this. So Starlink <laughs> this week sent out an email to all of its customers saying, "End this. We ask for your support in ending a lobbying campaign that makes that threatens to make Starlink unusable for you and the vast majority of our American customers." So Dish wants to use 12 gigahertz spectrum for 5G. They have formed an alliance called the 5G for 12 gigahertz coalition. Whew. This is true. Uh, in the 
the trades and fierce wireless, which is a trade publication, there's a great line that's like, this is not to be confused with the twelve G alliance. And it's like <laughs> oh man, <laughs> like what's happening with you people? Like, what's going on over there? So they form this thing where they want to use twelve gigahertz, which the FCC is provisionally said might be interesting. So Dish is doing studies about whether it can use 12 gigahertz for 5G. And they're pushing to a place where they can do it with this coalition. SpaceX is also using that spectrum. And so uh, they follow the FCC where it says they use 12 gigahertz spectrum as workhorse frequencies to provide critical downlink services across the US. If you open that spectrum up for 5G use, uh, customers will experience a total outage of service 74% of the time. So now Dish, which I would remind you, has no 5G network, mm-hmm. owns a ton of spectrum, has been required by the government to light up a network called Project Gen 5 Sys. <laughs> that uh, we have two Project Gen 5 Sys phones. Mitchell has one, and Nathan Edwards, our new senior review editors, have one. We, we're going to have a piece coming out. But as of yet, those phones have mostly been on AT&T's network <laughs> because that's what Dish is using as its backstop, which is very funny. So even the Dish network that is launched is still just AT&T. The world's first smart 5G network remains an illusion. <laughs> but Dish wants even more spectrum to take away from Starlink, and Starlink's in a fight with them. And it's like both of these things are like, what are we even fighting about? Like, your network doesn't exist. Like, you should just build the network you have. Are you going to convince Apple to put 12 gigahertz radios in the iPhone for 5G? No. I don't think you are. Like, I just doubt it. Especially when you have, like, four customers. This is how you end up with the Motorola Edge Plus is the only supported phone. (laughs) And then obviously Starlink, you know, they're already using the spectrum, but it's amazing that they've built out a service that could be threatened by a competitor as ferocious as Dish Network. I thought it was wild that the FCC like started all this January of 2021 and it's only now in June of 2022 that SpaceX is like, oh, wait, 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 we, we need that. That's ours. We, we need that really badly. Like, were you just not looking? Did you just not read the trades this for the last year and a half? Well, so I think one thing that's happening here is Dish already uses 12 gigahertz for its satellite TV service. They want to just like repopulate it and use it for 5G because yeah. they have some of the spectrum. I just like the phone networks are like the phones don't exist that like use this spectrum. So like, where are they at? Anyway, Dish said a great line, which in the context of fighting over spectrum in space is great. We believe coexistence is possible. Like that's 100% what the president says after the aliens invade Earth. Like (laughs) we believe coexistence is possible. Uh, uh, So we'll see. It's like one of the funniest broadband stories. Because like they have a network. They should just build that one. They have all of the spectrum. They can do it. I mean, they could. There will be more Gen 5 Sys coverage to come. I'm very insistent that we overcover Project Gen 5 Sys, so we're going to do it. All right, we got to take a break. Andy, thank you so much for joining us. Yeah. It's good to see you, Squeege. <laughs> <laughs> and we're going to do Truck Talk Round 2 in a couple of weeks, so you'll, you'll be back. Yeah, you'll be back. The Lightning Review is coming up, and we'll, we'll have you back for all that stuff. Okay, we're taking a break. We'll be right back. Squeege, send it off. Hey, this is Scott Galloway, author, professor, entrepreneur, and most importantly, host of the Prop G podcast. We got a special series running on right now called The Future of Work, where I answer all your questions on, surprise, The Future of Work. 
questions including what are we missing when we work remotely or how do we handle work-life balance when a major opportunity comes knocking. From the provocative to the technical, we're offering insights you won't want to miss. So tune in to The Future of Work, a Prop G Pod special sponsored by Canva. You can find it on the Prop G Pod wherever you get your podcasts. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. We're back. Let's do let's do like a little gadget lightning round to, to wind this up. David, you want to take us? Sure. So, I mean, this says something about how newsy this week was, but the, the biggest Verge gadget story of the week was that this was the 10-year anniversary of the Nexus Q, which makes it's it the 10-year anniversary of one of my all-time favorite Verge photos, which is the Nexus Q being used as a doorstop uh, <laughs> in our office in New York, which I think is about as good an explanation of the Nexus Q as you will ever find. That was our office on Fifth Avenue, which was basically an apartment. Yeah. The bathroom was right in the center. It was awesome. It was a very strange office. I will say this, that this is one of the rare product that was killed by product reviews. Yeah, I think so. I think that's right. So they announced it in this weird moment. They said it was uh, it was a music streamer. It was one of the first Google hardware devices. Andy Rubin announced it. It was like a high-end music streaming device. It was a circle like a sphere-ish shape, and you could turn the top to change the volume. Very strange. You got to look at a picture of it. And they gave it out to reviewers. Uh, we gave it a five out of 10. Everyone else was like, what is the point of this? It was also really expensive. It was $300, I think. Yeah. In 2012, $300. Yeah. And it didn't work with anything except Google services. So <laughs> Google was like, well, that was a mistake. And they canceled the product <laughs> and they killed all the services, rendering it completely useless. Yeah, a $300 streaming device that only works on Google Play Movies. Uh, what a surprise that that really never took off. I will say it did look very cool. The the like sphere sitting there, and when you connected all the cables, it kind of looked like that like tentacle monster from the Matrix that was always flying around. It's just it was it was kind of sci-fi and cool looking. And now all streaming devices are the same little like flat, pucky rectangle things. And I at least. Kudos to Google for doing something more interesting. I mean, visually, it was cool even at that time because, like, Apple, Roku, everybody else was doing – like, Roku was doing weird giant boxes. Apple was doing weird giant boxes. Shield, I don't think – Shield wasn't didn't exist yet. Like, <laughs> had to get it in there. There it is. Yeah. There it is. <laughs> this was I, – because I definitely remember at the time being like, ooh, should I get one to run Plax? And then I was like, no. Just immediately, like, no, this won't work at all. This is a stupid idea of mine, but it looks cool. I really wanted one, and I never bought it. And I liked just one more note on this, then we should move on. Chris Welch wrote that story, and he mentioned in it that you can kind of see some Chromecast DNA in it. And it is true, like, as a, as a precursor to what became the Chromecast, which is like a simpler thing that's much cheaper and has more services, it sort of makes sense. And someone responded to him on Twitter who was like, I was on the Chromecast team. There is no Chromecast DNA in this thing. We were just as surprised as everybody when it launched. They were like, do not associate us with this piece of junk. And I very much enjoyed that. That was very good. All right. We got to talk about this GPU situation, which is like the Alex Crane special. So for our audience of hardcore Android gamers, 
<laughs> your, time your time has come. Has come. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I, I'm trying to figure out how it's pronounced because I want to call it the Immortalis. Oh, I read it as Immortalis. I, I, I assume they want Immortalis, but I want to call it the Immortalis because, like, that's a dumb name either way. It also sounds like a ship. Like the the Immortalis is like a like an old timey spaceship. It's got like a lot of wood in it, despite being in space. Exactly. Everybody wears like 18th century. British naval uniforms. Yeah, it's like Pirates of the Caribbean in space was on the Immortalist. That's, like that's that's definitely what happened. Would watch. <laughs> but so so Arm has announced a new GPU. They're still doing the the GPUs they do now, which is the line it's called Molly. And this is a new GPU lineup and it's meant for big high-end phones. We'll probably see some stuff from MediaTek, Samsung around it. But the big, the big catch here is that it does ray tracing on a tiny ARM-based GPU for your phone versus ray tracing, which we have now, which is primarily AMD kind of does it for, you know, the PS5 and the Xbox, and NVIDIA is doing it in its 20 and 30 series GPUs. This is the new version of it, and I suspect – I want to get really excited about it. I want to be pumped because ray tracing is – continues to be a holy grail, like hardware-based ray tracing is is a big deal. We want this because it's going to just bring really incredible visuals. But there's there's two kind of key components. One, developers have to develop for it and actually do it. And as we've seen in the PC gaming space and even in the console gaming space, they don't actually want to do it. Most of them are like, yeah, this is really cool. I'll do it because you paid me to do a tech demo, but I won't actually regularly put it into my games. And then the other problem is, like, on mobile gaming, we already have a very distinct visual language for mobile games, right? They all look kind of the same, and it's kind of that flat thing. There's maybe some shadows. Why would you need a lot of ray tracing? Like, there's no, there's no, go- there's no effort to make photorealistic stuff on mobile gaming apart from, like, car games. Yeah, I mean, but this is like the question mark around hardcore Android gaming in general, yeah. right? And also it's limited to Android because – which makes it even worse because most of the games are getting developed for iOS first. That's that's where the fun happens. My hope and dream from this is that somebody makes a really cool handheld console that can sometimes play yeah. the games but is just mainly for cloud gaming. That blog will be on the page one day, I swear. <laughs> I mean, but that's what that's what's been happening right around the industry. Like they've made it now for Android phones, and maybe they'll get in the high in Android phones. But yeah, over time, this just becomes the the default GPU for ARM. Yeah, yeah, I think that's like kind of the idea is that eventually maybe we move away from Molly and we they, they start to really use Immortalis. But I don't know how quickly that's going to happen. I think th- I think this is like. A really big flash bang of like, hey, wow, cool. And then we're all going to forget about it. And then five years from now, we'll be like, oh, wow, I saw my reflection in this game. It was Immortalis. <laughs> <laughs> Truly, we are all Immortalis. <laughs> More lightning round stuff. It feels like the we should make cooler monitors for work from home market is having a moment. Yes. It's like definitely <laughs> happening, right? They're finally catching up. Well, And there's this thing where it's like, oh. Do you sit in front of the same screen for 17 hours a day? Would you like that screen to do more things and look good? <laughs> Here's some products. <laughs> it's great. I think this this Samsung M8, uh, which Cam Faulkner on our team reviewed this week, is one of those devices I have been sort of aimlessly shopping for basically all week. It's like part TV, part monitor, 
doesn't do either of those things exceptionally well, but does but does them both better than it would if you tried to buy them both for the same price, if that makes sense. And is like, yeah, we're just getting to this place where it's like, what if your computer monitor did more stuff? And I am very interested in that world. Yeah, I think McKenna Kelly, one of our policy reporters, she was like, oh, I want this. This is this is what I want. I live in New York. My monitor needs to do double duty anyway. Yeah, I want to watch some TV on it and also do my work. So I buy it. It's only 32 inches. If it was 40 inches, I would like extremely buy it. Yeah. Right. It's just like it seems a little small. Do you want a 40 inch computer monitor, though? Uh, I mean, I could. I could <laughs> definitely have one of those. Fair enough, yeah. My Zoom setup now is our legendary 40-inch Samsung Curve TV, <laughs> which has now found its true purpose is just being my display for Zoom. Just enveloping you in Zoom. <laughs> it's great. It's Everyone kind of looks like, you know, I can see their faces. I can sit far away from the TV. Uh, I never use it to watch TV anymore. It's just a <laughs> – but yeah, but then all my work happens on my actual laptop screen. I'm just saying at 32, it's like – uh, one tick small. Great headline from Cam, though. The good enough of both worlds. Yeah. Very good. But this thing looks great. I, I know one person who has one is uh, Dieter Bone. Oh, and he definitely thinks it's the good enough of both worlds as well. So, okay, wait, can I ask a question about this, though? Because my counter to this thing would be because the, sh- the shtick basically is like it works as a computer monitor, but it also runs Tizen and is a smart TV with a TV remote. And I was thinking about this and I'm like, what? TV do I want to watch that I can't just make like a full screen browser window on my computer? I think it's more for like, think back to college. You're in your dorm room. You want to sit on your bed and watch all the episodes and you don't actually want to move. So it's it, the remote is the thing then. Yeah, I think it's the remote. I guess that tracks. Okay, that's fair. The webcam sucks though. Huge mistake making a terrible webcam. The webcam being this like weird external thing that you can pogo pin on the back. I love so- it. I love a pogo pin. We always have. The Verge has stand pogo pins since the dawn of time. True. Very good. That's cool. So then the other one is from Sony, and they seem, this is their in-zone monitors, and they, they're like, they're in the game. You mean in the zone. Oh, my God. You did it. And truly, that day, we were immortality. <laughs> <laughs> I've been doing this to Cam all week. It's immortalist. I refuse. Has Sony ever done this before it's like it's a lineup of of like gaming monitors and headsets and i have no memory of sony like being deep in this game before but maybe i'm missing things i have no memory cam and i like try to look around for it we have no memory of it but we also don't want to say they've never done it before because someone will absolutely be like actually in 1998 for two weeks sure in one store in japan yeah but this is definitely like a significant push for them. And I think Cam's got a story coming this week. I think it'll be up Friday when you're all listening to this beautiful Vergecast episode. That's kind of about why they had to do this. Because when he went and learned about it, he was like, oh, this makes sense. Like Microsoft is out there. They're doing great in the console space. They own the cloud gaming space and they own the PC gaming space. Sony, if it, it, it doesn't, it can't like compete like Nintendo does with a bunch of weird, wacky games. It has to compete in Microsoft's land. And so, okay, let's do what we do best. Let's just make a bunch of cool gadgets and shit. Yeah. But I got to say, 900 bucks, 27 inch 4K IPS with 144 hertz refresh rate. That's a strong spec sheet. Yeah. I mean, that's that's up there with, I had just purchased another LG GN950, which has similar specs. And I was like, oh, this is kind of cool. I kind of wish I'd waited, but it's too late now. I've got it. Also, I'll point out it has full array local dimming with 96 zones and display HDR 600. If you were, for example, to compare it with another 27-inch panel that was very expensive, you might note that it has 
far superior specs for far less money. A really, I think this is a really smart idea because Sony has gotten really good at TVs. They're oftentimes considered better than LG in the OLED TV space. Like their processing is really good. The the visuals just really good. They they do the local dimming really really well. And so take all of that kind of like TV math and now apply it to monitors, which have really struggled, especially with like controls and calibration. That's a place that's a real pain point on monitors and bring that TV ease into the monitor space. Like that to me is just a smart move. This is a super interesting thing from Sony in the world of like, they want you to put your PlayStation on your desk, which I think is just like a totally different way for Sony of thinking about gaming that I think is fascinating and is like 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 you were saying about Microsoft kind of owns the whole world that isn't you sitting on your couch playing games on your television and Sony is like needing to compete with that space because more people are spending more of their time sitting at their desk playing games and for Sony to be like okay this thing works for your PC but also like the real magic is if you plug in your PS5 is it's like it's a subtle small thing but feels like a kind of big omission from or a big admission from Sony that this is like we are in a new world where pe- of how people play and where and Sony needs to like be part of that in all the ways it possibly can, which I just think is fascinating. Yeah, 100 yeah. percent. Let's end it here. The iPad home hub in iPad OS 16 situation is of little consequence at the end of the day. I think very few of our listeners are using their iPads as home hunts. Let us know if you are. Um, if you're running your Apple HomeKit system off your iPad on purpose, we need to make that. Yeah. We need to make that key. I'm curious as to why, but here's the thing that's really interesting. So there was some code in iOS 16 that made it seem like iPads would not be able to work as home hubs and HomeKit anymore. Mm-hmm. Uh, we run around in circles. There's a lot of reporting. Whatever. Apple finally released a statement. The statement is fascinating. Because Apple made a big deal about matter at WWC. They said matter out loud. They put the thing on the screen. Yep. But here's the statement. iOS 16 and iPad OS 16 will continue to support iPad as a home hub with no loss in functionality. Alongside these releases, the home app will introduce a new architecture for an even more efficient and reliable experience. Because iPad will not be supported as a home hub with the new architecture, users who rely on iPad for that purpose do not need to update the home architecture and can continue enjoying all of the existing features. Now, you could just read that as it doesn't have the radios to support matter. Right. Which is what we assumed for a while is the case. Like, that's that's definitely the simplest way to read that statement. But neither do most Apple TVs. Right. And really, only the HomePod Mini has thread radios that work in that way. So it's unclear, actually, what this new architecture is. But they're saying that you matter accessories will require an Apple TV, which doesn't have the radios. Right. It's just unclear. Like... What is this architecture and why can't the iPad run it? Is it matter? Is it not? What is Apple's true commitment to matter? Does it matter? Far more up in the air now because of this statement than you would expect. Like you would just expect like, oh, it makes no sense to have this like mobile device be your home hub. Right. But the expectation was always like many iPads just never leave the house. Yeah. So it might as well be the home hub. I think that's actually what they were saying is actually sometimes iPads leave the house and that's bad. So we're going to things with plugs. But instead, we have this like this misdirect about architectures. So I don't know. We'll see. But I'm matter still hasn't shipped. It's going to save everything, you guys. It's going to change. It's going to matter. Soon your house will be smart. It was done before. (laughs) And then we will be immortalists. (laughs) And then (laughs) as I walked off the field, I looked around and thought, today we have become 
Immortalis. <laughs> <laughs> Look, it's it's been a weird short week of news. You're going into the holiday. We should end it here. I'll say two things. One, Decoder next week, our annual Grill Spectacular. Last year, we interviewed the CEO of Blackstone, which, by the way, went public after we they were on Decoder. And uh, they're going to do $600 million in revenue this year selling grills, uh, which is pretty good. This year, we got the CEO of Traeger. They're going to do 800, 850 million in revenue selling smokers. That's the wood pellet one, right? That's the wood pellet yeah. smokers. People love that thing. Uh, that dude, Jeremy Andrus, do you know what, what he did before he was the CEO of Traeger? He was the CEO of Skull Candy. Wow. What? Headphones to grills. Yeah. A crazy story. Is he your best friend in the whole world now? <laughs> We're like in it now. Yeah. Like, Give that man a Ford F-150 and it's like he can just <laughs> move into Neil's house. <laughs> That's coming. That's our... our um, it's our 4th of July special. The Vergecast is off next week, but our show's on Netflix. Future of is on Netflix. Please go stream it. We also have a huge package called Homeland this week. It's the 20-year anniversary of the Department of Homeland Security. Lots and lots of uh, stories, including a look at Chad Wolf, which is a, a fake name. Uh, but Chad Wolf was basically illegally the Secretary of Homeland Security for a long time. Sarah John uh, dove into that. Uh, McKenna Kelly uh, has a big piece on the Afghan refugee crisis in the United States after we withdrew from Afghanistan, which has a big Airbnb component inside of it, which is fascinating. And I interviewed the director of innovation for the TSA, which went pretty much how you'd expect. You talk about innovation in shoe removal? We innovated. He was a very nice guy. His name is Dan McCoy, but it's the TSA. Like You can't (laughs) overcome the TSA. But he was game. He had, they actually came to us. So all that's going on. There's even more stories in the Homeland Package. Please check that out. We've spent a long time on it. It looks beautiful. It's one of those beautiful things we ever published. It's gorgeous. And the stories are great. McKenna's story in particular, they're all very good. But if, if you're going to start somewhere, I would start with McKenna's story. It's excellent. For sure. Okay, that's it. We have, we have, we're just about to go over. Wait for it. We went over. See, yeah, it happened. Uh, yes. So close. <laughs> I was waiting for it. Uh, you can tweet at us. I'm at Reckless David's at Pierce. Alex is Alex H. Kranz. Andy is at Andy Jayhawk. Uh, David's got this show on Wednesdays. What was your show this week on Wednesday? We talked about privacy implications of Roe v. Wade. We talked about why Netflix won't just tell me what to watch. And we talked a bunch about Asus laptops. And Monica made all of Asus's stupid names make sense to me. I think David gets mad about product names is going to be a long-running theme of the Wednesday Vergecast. I'm very excited about it. And that's how he became Intertotals. <laughs> <laughs> All right, that's it. That's Vergecast. Thanks for listening to this week's show. And hey, we'd love to hear from you. Shoot us an email at vergecast@theverge.com. And if you liked the show, share it with a friend. Vergecast is a production of The Verge and part of the Vox Media Podcast Network. Today's episode was produced by me, Liam James, and our senior audio director, Andrew Marino. Our executive producer is Eleanor Donovan. That's it. We'll see you next week. Thanks to Canva for their support. Canva wants to make your presentations come as easy as those thoughts that pass through your head. And thanks to their AI, you can start with a simple prompt and watch Canva go to work. Choose your favorite style, customize the content, and you're done. It's a serious time saver. Whatever you do for work, Canva presentations can give you a head start on your deck. You can generate sales presentations, marketing decks, HR onboarding plans, you name it. Finish your deck faster. Generate slides in seconds with Canva presentations at canva.com. Designed for work.